Well, happy Sunday, Life Center. So glad that you're with us today. Anybody thankful that the Mariners have finally broken their cycle and uh, headed to the playoffs? In fact, there was a whole family that showed up. Usually this time of year, we see a lot of Seahawks jerseys, not as many this year. A lot more Mariners jerseys all of a sudden. But uh, anyways, thankful that you're here today. Uh, by the way, anybody been confused by the weather? 80 degrees in October. Um, amazing, amazing. So if you want evidence that Jesus loves you, you're welcome. Like God, God loves us here in the Pacific Northwest. Thrilled that you've taken a part of your day to be with us. Today we bring to conclusion our journey through the book of Judges. We've spent the last number of weeks looking at this Old Testament book that fits in the storyline after God made a promise to a man named Abraham and said to him that through your family, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. That family began to grow and multiply. They ended up in the land of Egypt where they experienced slavery. They cried out to God. God raised up a deliverer named Moses and God brought them out of slavery, out of Egypt and brought them to a promised land which Joshua led them into and they began to take a hold of that land that was promised to their ancestors years before. And now in the book of Judges, we read about this people, this family that's now become a nation known as Israel and they're trying to navigate what it looks like to do what's right in their own eyes and still experience the favor and blessing of God, which doesn't happen. And it leads them to cycles of confusion. Can you say confusion? Uh, confusion happens in our lives. How many of you, you've ever read something in the Bible, you scratch your head and you're like, why is that in there? This happens, by the way, to many people, especially when they, they kind of make this decision, January, okay, this year I'm going to read through my Bible. And they're like, they get through Genesis, they're like, check. They get through Exodus, check. They hit Leviticus and they're like, what? And today we're going to look at a story that is a little bit confusing. And here's why this matters. If we don't ever deal with stories like this in scripture, it's easy to approach them and say, okay, well, that, that doesn't have any relevance, that doesn't speak to me anymore, or that, that clearly is a mistake, or why is the God of the Old Testament like that? And today's an opportunity for clarity. Today, I've, I've entitled this message, God is not like that. God is not like that. A number of months ago, one of my friends, I found out that uh, he had been diagnosed with a sickness. And so I opened my phone and I scrolled through my contacts and I found his first name. His name was Mark. And, and I, I hit send on, on that call. Um, I know some of, I just freaked out some of the introverts. Do you know your phones actually call? not just text. Uh, I called my buddy and I, I began to talk to him. I said, hey, I, I heard that you're, you're facing this. I heard this is going on. Tell me a little bit more. I, I wanted to call and pray with you. And he, he almost kind of sounded surprised. Like, oh, well, thanks. Yeah, uh, this has been going on and this is, this is what's been happening and this is the journey that I've been on. And I said, and how's your wife? And then I listed off his kids and he went silent on the other end of the phone. And he, he said to me, Tyler, I think you called the wrong guy. And I was like, 
I, no, I don't, I don't think so. Everything we've been talking about, like, this is you, right? This is going on, this is going on, this is going on. He goes, Tyler, you grew up with my kids. Those are not my kids' names. And I realized as I pull the phone back and I look at my contacts, I have two friends named Mark. Their last names are almost identical. Both had been diagnosed. Both were walking through something. I just happened to hit the wrong contact. And here I was, I called the wrong person, and I'm just trying to like, no, 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 I meant it. I, yeah, I, know, I knew it was you. Just joking, I just had kind of that momentary, you know, brain issue. Here's the deal, I called the wrong person. I was confused. And how many of us can recognize that confusion doesn't really help us to get to where we want to go? See, here's what I'm convinced of. Confusion has consequences. Confusion has consequences. Think about it for a moment. All the areas of your life where maybe you've been confused. Anybody remember forgetting where you parked that one time? Now, remember back in the olden days before our cars had remotes. Come on, my first car, it did not have a remote. So if I lost it in the lot, if I was confused about where it was, I couldn't do like the, I couldn't figure it out. And so I had to keep walking around. Confusion has consequences. And that's what we see throughout the book of Judges. Israel is continually confused about who God is and what he desires. Confusion has consequences. But, but here's the good news. Clarity breaks the cycle. Confusion has consequences, but the good news is clarity breaks the cycle. I was so thankful that my friend was gracious, and, and we laugh about it now in this conversation because I realized, man, I, I, it was user error on my phone. I hit the wrong contact. But the good news is, here's what I'm convinced of. God does not want us to be confused. God doesn't want us to be confused. You see, everything in life has a natural consequence. What you eat, especially, let's say you're lactose intolerant, come on. If you're like, no, I'm not, and you eat lactose anyways, how many know? There's a consequence. <laughs> what we do with our bodies, if we exercise, if we don't, it, it has a consequence. Forgetting where you parked has a consequence, being lined up on the one yard line and being confused, should I pass it off or throw it? <laughs> Too soon, still. <laughs> All these years later, and it still hits us. Why? Because confusion has consequences. Assuming that your spouse no longer loves you, consequences. Interpreting the difference of opinion that you have with that other person, and now instead of that somebody that was created in God's image, as an image bearer, they're now an enemy because they have a different opinion. Confusion has consequences. This, this matters right now, by the way, where we live in 2022. A group recently did a study on the state of theology in America and they found this, that over half of American Christians believe that God 
learns and adapts to various situations, meaning they believe that God does change. Think about the consequence of that for a second. Because scripture says that God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and except for 2022 America. See, confusion has consequences, but here's the good news. Clarity breaks the cycle. Clarity breaks the cycle. See, I'm convinced of this. God does not want you to be confused. And he did not want ancient Israel, the people we've been studying, he didn't want them to be confused. That's why when we read in Judges chapter 2, look with me if you have your Bibles. Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says this. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land I had promised to your fathers. I also said that I will never, can you say never? never. Oh, that's so important. I will never break my covenant with you. Friend, if you, if you miss Everything else, please do not miss this. God is faithful to keep his promise. God reminded Israel, listen, I will never break my covenant with you. Israel, I will be faithful. And he continues on. You're not to make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You are to tear down their altars that they had set up to idols. But... You've not obeyed me. What is this you have done? Therefore, I now say, I will not drive out these people before you. They will be thorns in your side. And listen to this. And their gods will be a trap. Can you say trap? Their gods will be a trap for you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these words to all the Israelites, the people wept loudly. So they named the place Bochum, which literally means weeping. And they offered sacrifices there to the Lord. You see, God, he knew that if, if the people of Israel did not deal with what was around them at some level, it was going to create a sense of confusion within them, which eventually would have some consequences. And as we've seen, we've looked to this graphic every single week about the cycle that we're seeing throughout the book of Judges. Let's put that up. It's, it's this cycle where Israel, they make the decision, we're gonna serve the Lord. But then a period of time goes by and they forget about who God is or they forget about what God desires and instead they embrace life as they see best. In other words, they embrace sin and idolatry. And we can't miss this because that always will lead us to a place of oppression and bondage. It led Israel to slavery. And things get bad enough where finally Israel calls out to God and they say, God, will you help us? And guess what God continues to do? God continues to raise up a deliverer. Why? Because God said, I will never break my covenant with you. Did Israel deserve it? No. Did they act like good children? No. What does God still do? God continues to raise up a deliverer. And God sets them free from their bondage, from their slavery, and they declare together as a nation, we're gonna serve the Lord, we're gonna serve the Lord, and that lasts about seven minutes. And then we're right back in the same 
cycle. And what we've looked to each week is understanding this isn't just an ancient Israel thing. This is a human condition thing. Why does this matter today? Confusion creates this cycle. Clarity breaks this cycle. Confusion has consequences. Clarity, it breaks the cycle. How do we get out of that cycle? Clarity. Clarity. You see, as we look to the book of Judges today, we're going to be reminded that Scripture does not airbrush reality. Instead, we see Scripture remind us that it's very clear that people mess up and people are messed up. Can I get an amen? People mess up and people are messed up. In fact, this story is one of those stories that I've read year after year. I've never preached on this specific story. In fact, I was talking to a pastor friend earlier this week and I shared with him the, the text that I was preaching on and he looked at me, he goes, for real? Like, you're, you're gonna go there? I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go there. And, and here's why. If we don't deal with these difficulties in scripture, it leaves us puzzled at best or disillusioned at worst when it comes to the character and nature of God. So we're going to look to a judge in Judges chapter 11. His name is Jephthah. Jephthah. Look with me to Judges chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1. It says this, Jephthah the Gileadite was a valiant warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute, and Gilead was his father. Gilead's wife bore him sons, and when they grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, you will have no inheritance in our father's family because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Then some worthless men joined Jephthah and went on raids with him. So here's this guy doesn't necessarily have the, the greatest start in life. That's outside of his control, by the way. And yet because of a decision that another person made, now his family is kicking him to the curb. And so what does he do? He flees to a distant land, but, but Jephthah is skilled as a warrior. And so a bunch of thugs kind of gather around with him and they decide, you know what? We are going to take our enemies out. And they become well known for this. Look at verse four. Sometime later, the Ammonites fought against Israel. When the Ammonites made war with Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. They said to him, come be our commander and let's fight the Ammonites. Jephthah replied to the elders of Gilead, didn't you hate me and drive me out of my father's family? Why then have you come to me now when you're in trouble? You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of like elementary school recess when nobody wanted you on their kickball team. You were always the last picked, but then that one summer you grew and you walked back onto that playground field the next year and, and everyone's like, oh, you're on my team. You're on my team. You're like, Psh, now you want me? Are you kidding me? That's exactly what's going on. Jephthah understands, no, no, you wanted nothing to do with me, and now I'm valuable to you? And they answered Jephthah, verse 8, that's true, 
But now we turn to you. Come with us, fight the Ammonites, and you will become leader of all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to them, if you're bringing me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me, I will be your leader. To the elders of Gilead, they they said this to Jephthah, the Lord is our witness if we don't do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead. The people made him their leader and commander. And Jephthah repeated all his terms in the presence of the Lord at Mizpah. Here's a man who is chosen by God to be the deliverer for Israel. And, and here's some good news in his story. You see, you look at Jephthah's story, and he had less than an ideal beginning, a less than ideal starting point. His family wanted nothing to do with them. The people around the tribe wanted nothing to do with them. But now, all of a sudden, later in his life, he becomes valuable. Here's some good news so far in the life of Jephthah. Your starting point doesn't have to define the rest of your journey. Some of you need to hear that today. Because some of you, although you did not choose your starting point, it continues to be an anchor in your forward motion. Your starting point does not have to define the rest of your journey. Where you're at today does not have to define your tomorrow. Some of us, listen, the rear view mirror is too big compared to the windshield of our life. Your starting point doesn't have to define the rest of your journey. All the way up until this point, as we read about Jephthah, we find ourselves going, man, maybe God finally got the right person. He's doing so well. I mean, he didn't have the ideal start, but, but maybe we found a judge that we can identify with and we can even pattern our lives after. But remember, we've gone to this multiple times. The goal of judges is not for us to leave asking, how could I be more like that person? Because if you do, it's going to end in tragedy. Part of this journey through the book of Judges is to be reminded that humanity is flawed and it leaves our heart longing for the day when Jesus will arrive and he becomes that true and perfect deliverer. Unlike any other deliverer. You see, this story, although it describes an ancient people, an ancient family, it points our hearts, as the Bible is one unified story, it points our hearts towards the arrival of Jesus. See, everything seems to be going good with Jephthah, and then Jephthah makes a vow. Jephthah makes a vow. Look with me to Judges chapter 11, verse 29. It says this, the spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah, who traveled through Gilead and Manasseh, and then through Mizpah of Gilead. He crossed over to the Ammonites from Mizpah of Gilead. Jephthah made this vow to the Lord. If you in fact hand over the Ammonites to me, whoever comes out the doors of my house to greet me when I return safely from the Ammonites will belong to the Lord and I will offer that person as a burnt offering. What? Where does this come from? Somebody remind me somewhere in in the the Torah, the the first five books, the law, where God said, here's how you show your, your complete obedience to me. Offer 
people as a burnt offering. You, you can't find it. You see, here's problem number one with Jephthah. Jephthah doesn't know or understand the character of God. He doesn't get it. Here, here's the second problem. He's treating Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, he's treating Yahweh like a Canaanite deity. In other words, all of the influence of the gods around the people of Israel, Jephthah has now made the mistake to assume, oh, maybe God's a little bit like that. Maybe God's a little bit like that. I've heard some stories about Yahweh and his faithfulness to, to deliver our people, but, but maybe he just wants a little bit more of what I'm seeing around me. Let's continue reading. Skip down to verse 34. Jephthah, he goes, he defeats the Ammonites. Verse 34, when Jephthah went to his home in Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with tambourines and dancing. She was his only child. He had no other son or daughter besides her. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, no, not my daughter. You have devastated me. You have brought me great, great misery on me. I have given my word to the Lord, and I can't take it back. You see, if Jephthah would have understood the nature and the character of God, number one, he never would have made that vow. But second, if he understood that God, he actually desires obedience more than sacrifice, he would have understood undoing that foolish vow would have actually allowed him to walk in alignment with what God desired. See, the tragedy in this story is we, we read about a man who, who appears as if he is a good father in the sense that he is broken when he realizes what he's done, but he, he misunderstands the nature of God, friends, understand, confusion has consequences. But clarity, it breaks the cycle. He, he's heartbroken about the situation that he finds himself in. Why? He's made the mistake based in confusion that somehow maybe the God of Israel is much like the bloodthirsty gods of the surrounding nations. See, the surrounding nations that God said, I want you to move these people out from your midst, they believed that their deities demanded the sacrifice of their sons and their daughters. They believed that somehow that would appease their God, but also demand the favor of that God. Confusion has clarity. Today, I want to compare and contrast to another father that we see earlier in scripture. His name is Abraham. Some of us, we know the story. Others of us, maybe we're newer to scripture, but in the book of Genesis, we read that Abraham hears from the Lord and God asks Abraham to take his one and only son up a mountainside and offer him as a sacrifice. Is Jephthah somehow confusing himself with Abraham? What's going on? Take a moment to consider, though, the comparison and the contrast between these two stories. Because in the story of Abraham, what's going on? God is testing the faith of Abraham. But with Jephthah, Jephthah is testing the faithfulness of God. Don't miss that. 
Don't miss that. With Abraham, God is the one who takes initiative and speaks to Abraham. But with Jephthah, if you notice, Jephthah speaks at God and God is completely silent. God's completely silent. That should cause us pause. God is the one speaking to Abraham. Jephthah is busy speaking at God. In the story of Abraham, we see God's provision. You see, God ultimately wasn't after Isaac as a sacrifice. What was God after? God wanted Abraham's heart, his faith, his obedience. And so God put him to the test to see what he trusted the most. And the outcome was God's provision. But you look at Jephthah, and what's the outcome there? It's, it's tragedy. Why? Because Jephthah was confused about God's nature. Jephthah, his story leads to chaos. Abraham, it leads to clarity. Notice the difference. Jephthah is confused about God, compromised about what God had already made clear. God did not want his people to sacrifice their sons and daughters like the nations around them. But he doesn't listen, and it leads him to chaos. Abraham, though, he's, he receives a challenge from God. He makes the choice to trust God. And where does that lead Abraham? It leads him to clarity in the nature of God. See, today, I want to share with us two clarifying questions. That if you've been serving Jesus for decades, or whether you're trying to figure this thing called Christianity out, I think that these questions are critical. Why? Because they are clarifying questions for us. And for those of us who find us, we find ourselves in that repetition of a cycle that we just can't seem to get out of, can I tell you, clarity on these questions breaks the cycle. Question number one is this, what is God like? What is God actually like? You see, this question focuses on his nature, on his nature. Jephthah made some assumptions about what God was like. Jephthah assumed that Yahweh, the God of Israel, wanted blood and appeasement from humans. You see, we need to understand the significance of this question, and, and here's why. How you answer this question will impact how you interact with God. D depending on how you answer what God is like, it's going to impact how you choose to interact with God. What do I mean by that? Well, some of us, we grew up, and maybe we're still in this place, where we believe God is an angry father just waiting for us to mess up. I mean, he's just hanging hanging by a thread, and he's waiting for us, and, and he's just going to swoop in and correct us. I used to play some, some theological games in my mind. I remember shortly after I got my license, I was driving on the streets of Tacoma here, and I had this thought, and what was the thought? It was me trying to answer this question, what was God like? Because I had this thought driving down the road one day, I was like, okay, if I'm driving and a car veers over, and I know I'm about to get in a head-on collision, and I'm going to die, if my last word is a bad word, does that mean that I'm going to spend eternity apart from God? 
Come on, how many others who grew up in the church, you, you had these deep theological debates while, while you were driving or, or doing whatever? I could go down a whole list of them. And what is the point? The point is we are trying to answer the question, what is God like? That somehow our eternity is going to hang in the balance of our action instead of what Jesus has done for us. What is God like? Some of us, we have this picture of God that he's a disconnected or disinterested God. Somehow he's, he's almost like, a, like the deists believe that he sets stuff into motion and then he stepped back and, and he can't really be bothered today. Some of us, we have this picture that God is this cosmic vending machine that we just get to approach and receive what we want. Some of us, we like that type of God. But I think we have to answer the question, what, what is God actually like? I'm thankful that Colossians chapter 1, verse 5 reminds us. It says this, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Colossians 1, 5, you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. You see, Jesus brings us clarity, and it's only Jesus who can break us out of that cycle. If we want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. See, when we confuse what God is like, it hinders how we approach him, how we interact with him, but also how we reflect him. How we reflect him. So for example, I've met Christians throughout the years who they, they so focus on God being a God of wrath and God is angry. And, and not only is God angry, they begin to reflect what they believe about God. Like, man, I'm so glad to be in church today. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. It's like, hey, what you believe about God becomes very visible. Because I've seen a lot of followers of Jesus. And man, the tone on which they are reflecting God to the world in their Facebook posts doesn't look like this. It looks like this. What do we believe that God is like? Second question. Not only is what, what God is like, but second question is this. What does God want? What does God want? The first question deals with what his nature is. The second question, though, focuses on his expectation of us. So can I ask you, how have you answered that question? What, what is it that God wants? Does God just want your church attendance? Does God just want a, a few bucks out of your wallet every week? What, what does God want? You see, I've had to wrestle through this question, and here's what I believe that God wants from me. God wants my trusting more than my trying. Some of us, we are worn out because we are trying to get things right. We're trying to work our way to God. We are much like Jephthah, trying to make vows, trying to make promises, continuing to fall short, and we wonder, why does life feel like this. Can I tell you, God wants your trusting more than your trying. But also understand, God wants your devotion more than he wants your demands. Jephthah's busy making demands at God, saying, God, I will sacrifice whatever comes out of my house if you will give me victory. And I know that many times, especially if you've been serving Jesus for a while, we would never call them demands, we would call them requests. It feels much 
more spiritual. But sometimes our demands can sound like this. God, I've served you faithfully for decades and now this is happening? What is God like? What does God want? See, at the end of the day, he, he wants our devotion more than he wants our demands. But, but don't mean, miss this last one. God, I believe with all my heart, God wants my friendship more than he wants my facade. I've been in church all my life. And here's one thing that I know about Christians. Sometimes we're a little weird. Okay, we're a lot weird. Uh, but some of us, we have a master's degree or even a doctorate in putting on the facade. Man, we are at each other's throat all the way to church, arguing, slam the car door. Somebody's like, hey, how you doing? Glory to God, praise God, hallelujah, bless you, brother. Like, how are you? We, we, we know right when to put our hands up at, at the, the bridge of the song and, and put the smile on. And, and in the back of our minds, we're crushed with anxiety over whether or not we can get through next week. God desires friendship more than our facade. Life Center, can we be a place where we drop the facades? And when I say that, I, I don't mean like drop the facade and just like continue to stay in your mess. No, understand, you might be in a mess right now, but you serve the one who can pull you out of the miry clay and set your feet on a rock. See, when we're confused about what God wants, again, it, it impacts how we approach him, how we interact with him, but also how we reflect him. See, our hope today is not just in the fact that we don't have to be confused like Jephthah was confused. Good news is Jesus provides us clarity on how to break out of the cycle. Our hope isn't even in, in what Abraham was willing to do, although scripture says he is the father of our faith. Our hope is in this, that, that there was another father in scripture who was good and perfect. And he himself offered his one and only son. See, it was never about our sacrifice to get ourselves to God or, or somehow our sacrifice that proves our devotion. It was always about his devotion for us. And God set into motion as our perfect heavenly father, his plan to rescue and redeem mankind. He sent his one and only son who would become the one and only true sacrifice that would bring us into proper relationship with God and break us out of the cycle of confusion. If you want to know what God is like, you want to know what God wants, look at Jesus. He's provided for us what we could never provide for ourselves. Confusion has consequences. This last week I was reading through the final chapter of Luke chapter 24. The disciples are walking on the road to a town called Emmaus and, and they're broken because Jesus has died and Jesus shows up but they don't know it's Jesus. And what's amazing is that in that passage, it says that Jesus opened up their eyes and opened up their hearts to understand what the scriptures had said about him. What's the point? God doesn't want us to be confused. 
He wants us to experience clarity. Why? Because clarity breaks the cycle. See, when we're clear about what God is like and what God wants, understand it changes the hope that you live with. It transforms how you navigate challenging moments in life or in your career. It it shifts the weight and the burden that you carry, friends. It changes how you pray, how you worship, how you spend your life, how you serve, how you give financially. It, It changes the level of peace and joy that you live with. It changes everything. And this matters because there's there's confusion in our world about the gods of this world. And though we might not see them as gods, how else could we call them? Ideals, ideologies, philosophies. If we're not careful, we, we begin to pick up ideas and ideologies of the world around us and it creates confusion about the God who has come to rescue us. And what's in us has to be stronger than what's around us. There's a story about a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, theologian, World War II during the time of Nazi Germany and Hitler. And Bonhoeffer was convinced that what what they needed to do was establish a training ground for pastors because of how intense the Nazi movement was moving that nation by storm. And one of his friends showed up one day and said, Dietrich, why are you taking such an extreme approach to preparing pastors and making sure that they get it? And Dietrich Bonhoeffer took this friend in a boat and he rode across the body of water and got to the other side and they climbed a hillside. And from that hillside, he looked down and he saw a Nazi airstrip with thousands of young Germans marching and training and preparing Dietrich Bonhoeffer looked at his friend and he said this, this over here must be stronger than that. What we're doing to train and develop Christ followers has to be stronger than the noise in the world around us. Life Center, can I call us to deeper levels today? What we are doing here has to be stronger than what's going on in the world around us. Our devotion to Jesus has to be stronger. Why? Because confusion has consequences. But clarity breaks the cycle. Today, can I invite you to bow your heads across this room? Some are here today and you need to make a decision to put your trust in what Jesus has already done for you. Some of you, you want to walk out of this place knowing that your sin is forgiven, that your debt is paid, that you have a fresh start with God. Can I tell you, it's not through your trying, it's through your trusting. It's by embracing what Jesus has already done for you. In a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to to pray for that. But today, across this room, with heads bowed, if that's you, would you just simply raise a hand, just hold it up and say, Yeah, Tyler, that's me. Would you pray for me today? Because I want to know that my debt is paid. I want to fresh start with God. Thank you. Others would say, yeah, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In the balcony. Second, I want to pray for those of us who are ready to exchange confusion for clarity. Maybe you've been in that cycle again and again and again, and, and Jesus wants to bring you a clarity about who he is, what he's like, and what he expects. And today you want to make that exchange. 
If that's you, can I invite you to raise a hand? Just as a sign saying, yeah, today, that's, that's me today. I, I want to exchange confusion for clarity. Yeah, 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 lots of hands. Yeah. Lord, I thank you that you do not desire for us to walk in confusion. I pray that what's in us would be stronger than what's around us. God, I pray that we would learn from the story of Jephthah that, that you are not like the gods of this world. And the greatest revelation of what you are like, it's seen in the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that today we would exchange confusion for clarity. Holy Spirit, that you would open up the eyes of our hearts, that, that we would see with clarity like we've never seen before. Today, if you raise your hand and you desire to say yes to Jesus, we're going to pray this prayer together as Life Center. So can I invite all of us to say this prayer out loud? Would you say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. I put my trust in you. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a new creation. And help me to follow you every day of my life. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate those who are making that decision? I invite you to stand to your feet all across this room. As you do, some of our pastors and prayer team will make their way forward. If we can pray with you about anything today, we would love to be able to do that. I want to encourage you, if you pray that prayer, there's a little card in front of you called Next Steps. Take a moment, fill that out. We want to help you move from saying yes to Jesus to walking every single day with him. And listen, right now, we're going to send us out of this place on assignment. Remember, we don't just go to church. We are the church. So let's go. Let's be the church this week. God bless. We'll see you soon. Take care.